Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the mailbag. My name is Marcus Speller. That guy is Andy Brassel. Hello. Good to see you, Andy. Likewise. Likewise, indeed. Oh, Andy, how I've missed you, old sport. <laughs> it's been a long holiday period. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank goodness for our bi-daily chats. <laughs> Absolutely. What was the best thing you ate over the Christmas festive period? Well, you know what? There are a lot of good things I ate over the festive period, but one Mm -hmm. of my favorite presents Mm -hmm. was a waffle maker. Ah. And that that was nice. I enjoyed making waffles and I enjoyed extending the courtesy of waffles to other people in my street because we live in quite a small sort of street. Mm. So um, I was very much the waffle man. Yeah. Bringing a bit of uh, Belgian culture to South East London. Luke often accuses you of uh, of waffling, so it's quite fitting. <laughs> and literally that is the case now. Yeah, it is. Presumably you just sort of pop the waffles through letterboxes or, or underneath, you know, or, or put them on windowsills. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very much like in... Um, that edition of Peep Show where they're locked in the house and um, he orders a pizza and gets mm-hmm. it posted through the letterbox slice by slice and it gets those like sort of <laughs> lines of black hair in it from oh. <laughs> from the letterbox. Uh, <laughs> well, that's marvellous, Andy. I um, and I'm sure that you uh, that you enjoyed eating the humble pie that I dished you out at some point over the festive period as well. <laughs> um, right, Andy, let's uh, enough of the waffle. Ha 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 ha. Let us uh, go straight to our opening question. An email from Ben who says, uh, can Andy tell us what on earth is going on at Schalke? Have they actually appointed Christian Grocer's manager? <laughs> you laugh, Marcus, you laugh. But, um, yeah, you know, do. when when you are appointing your fourth manager of the season mm-hmm. and uh, bear in mind that this is a bit of an unusual season. So we are only 14 games into the season. Mm-hmm. And that is after the Christian Gross appointment. Um, you know, you, you have to be creative because let's be fair and say not many people want the job, even though no. Schalke are a, an absolutely a, enormous club. They are in... A, a huge hole. And already, it looks very difficult to imagine them getting out of things at the at the bottom of the table. Now, Christian Gross is a long shot, but maybe not such a long shot when you think about the fact that he had a relationship with uh, Jochen Schneider, the um, sporting director of Schalke. They'd worked together at Stuttgart, where he actually did a pretty good job, Christian Gross. So even though people thought he'd retired earlier this year when he left the Middle East, he said in his opening press conference at Schalke, um, I hadn't retired. I was just waiting for the right opportunity. And Mm -hmm. um, well, this is an opportunity and a half because um, if he can get them out of this, it will be something special. Now I know what you're thinking, Tottenham fans. Oh yeah. He is someone who's a relegation avoidance specialist. Yeah. And much as he, um, walked into the old Spurs Lodge with um his <laughs> his famous tube ticket. Yeah. Um we should, I mean we should cover that, Eddie, because maybe younger listeners don't remember Christian Gross rocking up as Spurs manager in the nineties, but it was it was quite something. 
Yeah, he he um, brandished in uh, slightly clunky English, it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, his presentation in 1997, he uh, waved a single tube ticket back in the days before people used contactless <laughs> and uh, said, I uh, came on the tube from the airport uh, because I wanted to know how the fans get to the stadium, to get inside their heads and, and be one of them. <laughs> Really, yeah, it was because do. there was it was because there was traffic and he was late. But <laughs> a, 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 anyway, it was a spontaneous prop. Um, whereas this time, um, in presenting himself to a rather less amused uh, a group of Schalke following journalists who've obviously been through a lot in the last year and a half, he um, said that he had a lucky shark's tooth that he always carries with him now. <laughs> to that's Ramon Dominic Andy. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I can't can't believe it. Christian Groves, when you mentioned his name, uh, you know, when when I saw the email and and we just had a a very brief chat about it before recording, uh, I just had never heard his name mentioned for about 20 years. You know, you see it in those old sort of (laughs) Sky Sports sort of things when they, you know, looking back through the years and so on, which are quite entertaining when they they recount the seasons. And you go, oh, bloody, that's a blast from the past. And then I just thought that, and I didn't think he died or anything sort of, you know, sort of nasty like that. I just thought he just disappeared. He just ceased to sort of exist in some sort of way. But he's been managing away. Like after Spurs, he was at Basel. He won some trophies there and he was at Stuttgart. He did brilliantly at Basel. Yeah. yeah, and then at Young Boys, and then Al Ali, um, and then and then Z- uh, Zamalek as well in in Africa. I mean, he won the, I think it's Africa's equivalent of the Europa League, um, the CAF Confederation Cup. I think it's one below the um, sort of African sort of Champions League, if you like. Uh, and he won that with Zamalek in 2019. You know, so so he's he has won a few trophies here and there at these at these clubs. I mean, they are quite big clubs. He's been managing. Uh, as well but yeah I just remarkable to go to a club the size of Schalke but it it does show you perhaps where the club is at the moment in the in the Bundesliga pecking order so to give you a little refresh of what's happened this season um before we come back to Christian Gross mm-hmm. um Schalke started the season with David Wagner not because he did a brilliant job especially in the back half of of, of last season mm. because when I was last out at games in Germany at the end of February, they'd just taken a 3-0 beating by Köln and they were really terrible in that and they were out of form and people started to wonder about David Wagner's job. Um, it got worse and worse after lockdown. They didn't win any games for the rest of the, 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 the season. But the feeling was that Wagner stayed in charge because A, he's a former player and understood the club, understood its particular pressures, understood that they would have to financially restructure and was okay with that because even before coronavirus, they were 200 million euros in the red, which is not an inconsiderable amount. Mm -hmm. Um, They were the first club to ask their fans not to ask for refunds on their season tickets. They were the first... um, club to take a state loan to help tide them over and um you know there was the feeling that not just wagner got that and understands the pressures of the club um and and the dimensions of the club but they couldn't afford to fire him basically so we get a couple of very very poor games into the season and then they decide actually yeah we we will fire him they get in Manuel Baum, who had um, 
done a, a, a decent job at, at Germany um, um, youth level, who'd done an okay job at Augsburg before, but was no one's idea really of a star appointment. But that was where they were at that time. And Baum took the job because there's no other circumstances in which he's getting the Schalke job. He quickly understood that, like Mike Ashley, um, retrospectively um, inspecting the Newcastle United accounts in 2007, that the hole is a lot deeper than he had initially thought. And, um, you know, he he found it tough. Um, If he'd have got that first win over the line, actually... um, at Augsburg a, a couple of weeks before Christmas when they considered a 93rd minute equaliser, maybe it would have been different because they, they lost um, the games after that and, and and then they they got rid of him. Um, and some would say it was always inevitable because as you m- might be aware, the word Baum in German is tree and the sporting director Jochen Schneider. Schneider means cutter. So it was mm. all really bound to fall into place in in, in in that sense, really, that he was going to get um, cut by by uh, Mr. Schneider at, at, at some point. <laughs> Indeed. Um. So then they got on the roof of the Veltins Arena. They got the bat signal out. There you go. Who do you call apart from Schalke's coach of the century? And that, of course, is uh, UEFA Cup winning coach, Hub Stevens, who'd retired from frontline coaching a few years back um, due, to, due to health concerns, 67 years old now, um, but keeps a close eye on Schalke as a, me- a member of the um, club supervisory board. And they just got in Uncle Hub with the idea being that they had one league game left, one cup game left, and the league game left before Christmas was a, a must win. They were at home to Armenia Bielefeld, uh, the champions of the second tier last season, who've really struggled since they've come up. A game that you absolutely have to win. And you think that short, sharp jolt before you get a new coach will help you win. It didn't. Bielefeld came to Gelsenkirchen, played them off the park and beat them 1-0. And Schalke never looked like scoring for pretty much all of that game, they have got not just the worst attack, but the worst defence in in the division. Um, now, there's a lot of holes in the squad, and that's that's a, a huge problem. There is a, a problem in terms of quality, but realistically, you would say there are probably teams with worse squads in in the division. Now, um, what has been the problem has been um, confidence, has been organisation. There's been motivation because um, when they went into the first game of, of of this season, they lined up with four ex-loanees um, led by uh, Ralph Fairman, um, who was loaned to Norwich and didn't really make any impression there. So finished last season before it was stopped, um, signed for Brand Bergen in, in Norway, a former club captain. When you get players who you loan out saying, we've had enough of this player, we don't think they're good enough for us anymore, and you Mm. have to take them back because you can't sell them, and then you have to put them in the team, and you've got four of those, I mean, that is a hugely bad start to the season. Um, And it's, it's suggesting a bad vibe in the dressing room as well. There are no real leaders there. You had after they lost 3-0 at Herta at the weekend. And Christian Gross's first game, Mark oh, Oots coming out and 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 saying um, their striker coming out and saying um, 
we, we need new players now. We need new players who are ready now. And for one of the players to actually say that, <laughs> you know, it doesn't say much mm. for the player, not just the players around him, but you know, he he, he clearly couldn't care mm-hmm. what they think either. And um, Rudy Fuller came out actually on on German television at the weekend and said, "Look, there are certain things that a player can't say." But you know, he's clearly Ute is someone who really feels it. He's a passionate guy. He's at the absolute end of his tether. I mean, he he said um, after one game that they lost. Um, at the end of last calendar year, um, they interviewed him on Sky afterwards and he said, I feel like going back to the dressing room and crying. And oh. you don't really get players saying that kind of thing, do you? So, oh, that's very sad, that is. You know, there's there's just a sense of all-round hopelessness. The fans obviously are really angry about the way that the club's been run and the club has been run badly for a long time. And the thing is, because, you know, we talk a lot and quite rightly about the fact that, uh, you know, fans are not able to get into the games at the moment. I think this is big, A, in Germany, uh, where fans have cl- such close interaction with their teams and are so mobilised, and B, particularly with Schalke, because those fans have not really had any outlet to, to vent their anger. You know, I've lost count of the amount of people who, who, who watch Schalke on a regular basis who've said, you know, these players are lucky that they're not facing the full wrath of a, a full Veltins arena. And that is true. But on the other hand, you don't get that wake-up call. And for the fans, it's incredibly mm. frustrating because they can't really get their point across. You know, they've um, attached um, disparaging banners to um, the, the gates of the club offices and stuff like that. But already, they're just in such a massive hole that you really struggle to see where they can they can go from here. I mean, they're six points from safety, mm-hmm. but they never win. And, you know, they've not won in 30 games at most recent count. Next weekend, they play against Hoffenheim. And if they don't win that, that matches the Bundesliga's longest ever winless run, which is by Tasmania Berlin um, from 1966. And you may say, who are Tasmania Berlin? Quite rightly. Um mm-hmm. That they were in the top flight for one season in 65-66 when the Bundesliga was only a couple of seasons old and um, the, the the league decided they needed a Berlin club in it. So they were put forward, even though they weren't good enough. And that's why they didn't win for 31 games. They weren't a club the size of Schalke. Now, interestingly, because Tasmania's... They're, they're in the fourth tier now. Because Tasmania's whole identity is bound up by being, you know, the the... The, the most useless team in Bundesliga history. Yeah. There were Tasmania fans outside the ground away um, when Schalke were away at Hertha at the, the weekend with banners supporting Schalke going, come on, you've got to save our record. You've got to let us keep our record. And in fact, their their, their chief commercial director has said, you know, this is potentially ruinous for us. If Schalke take this record off us, we trade off having the longest winless run in yeah. Bundesliga history. What well, are we going to do? It put them on the map, I suppose, blimey, Andy. Exactly. Well, it's, it's what they're it, famous it, for. Yeah, it's a desperate situation at Schalke. And, it is. Uh, if, if Christian Gross is not the man who can solve it, I don't know who is, quite frankly. <laughs> I don't know who is. Gleich gut, sich einzunisten in der gegnerischen Hälfte zu Beginn dieses zweiten Durchgangs. Verfahren und Raoul, Raoul kommt durch, Raoul! Oh, yeah. oh, was für ein geiles Ding! Das ist ja überhaupt nicht fassbar, was der Mann macht! 
And he's staying in the Bundesliga. Uh, Mark Digay has been in touch and said Jaden Sancho scored his first goal in the Bundesliga this season on the weekend. How is he getting on? And did Manchester United dodge a bullet not signing him? Now, I mean, that's. I think he's taken the words of, of some of the, uh, the, uh, the 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 sort of the reports and so on in the press, saying you know, well, Manchester United it actually worked out well that they didn't spend 109 million on him and and what not. Uh, I mean, that might be a, a slightly harsh. It was interesting the um, the words that Hans Joachim uh, Watzka, forgive my pronunciation. Um, said recently about Sancho, saying that he had probably already subconsciously prepared himself for a little bit of a change. Uh, I thought he had uh, at least thought about it so much that he'd lost his fluency. I felt he's been trying very hard in in recent weeks. Uh, re- recent week weeks, sorry, things will pick up again very quickly. He's still one of the greatest talents there is. So yeah, th- I mean the club are aware, and, and it seemed to be that that transfer to Manchester United was actually a lot closer than perhaps. A few people realised, myself included, in that. Um, so, Andy, what, what do you think of, of Jaden Sancho? Uh, he's not a busted flush at twenty. No, no, he's not. And um, <laughs> to, um, to to clarify the, the the transfer thing with Manchester United, mm-hmm. um, Sancho expecting it to happen and it being close to happening are, are two slightly different things because. What had happened is they had led him to believe that they were going all in to sign him, and then they expected to sign him on the cheap. And Dortmund never changed their price; um, they were never under pressure to do so. Um, with him having quite a, a, a long bit of contract left to go, and he is fairly professional, so he was never going to throw his toys out the plan, pram and refuse to play because he's someone who. Um, has done a lot for Dortmund, but he realises they have done a lot for him. Um, uh, he, he, he likes the club. He likes his teammates. He likes playing there. But it, it was never a sense of, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be stuck here and I'm going to be miserable because he, he loves playing for Dortmund. Um, you know, at some point he would like to come back and play for a mm. huge club in the, in, in, the, in the Premier League. But this idea that United had that he was going to, down tools and drive the price down. It was it was never happening, and they mm. really failed to grasp that. I think that the, 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 there there could well be an element of disappointment though, because if you're Sancho and a club that whispers sweet nothings in your ear and tells you that they're going to make you their you, they're going to make you their crown prince and mm-hmm. you know bet the farm on you, and then Especially when it comes club to size it, size of Manchester United as well. Yeah. Exactly, and, th- and then when it comes to it, that, they just don't go the extra mile for you in terms of they won't pay the money yeah. that Dortmund were very consistent in asking. I could understand that would be quite um, confusing and upsetting, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. um, on the surface he's, he's, he's just getting on with it. That said, I don't really think that's behind Jaden Sancho's struggles this season, e- even though I would not be surprised um, if, if that maybe played a minor part. I think the big issue for him is um, the the loss of Ashraf Hakimi. I think mm. that is absolutely huge. Of course, he was loaned to Dortmund for two years from Real Madrid. Um, and then um, he was sold to Inter by Real Madrid because Zinedine Zidane wasn't interested in, in using him. He likes to play with a flat back four. And... Um, uh, Hakimi is very much a winger and not a real right back. A wing back, sorry, and not a real right back. Um, 
so suits into down to the ground and we've seen that in recent weeks he started playing very very well but the relationship between Hakimi and Sancho was so good that when we were talking about this potential um Sancho transfer out of Dortmund like I guess probably about a year ago maybe just less I said at the time that if I'm Real Madrid I go all in for Sancho because the the, the combination of Sancho and Hakimi was absolutely fantastic mm. and the the extra space that he got from Hakimi's runs not just down the outside where he could allow Sancho to drift in and score goals. And of course he scored a lot of goals last season, mm-hmm. but on the outside as well, like Hakimi has incredible pace. He's one of the fastest players, mm-hmm. um, if not the fastest player in, in, in European football. He scores goals himself, and him. He's already got five this season, I think. That's that's the thing exactly, Marcus. He can underlap as well as overlap. So that created space for Sancho on the outside. They understood each other's game so well. And Thomas Meunier, who is, is another very attacking right back, who they signed from Paris Saint-Germain, who was thought of as being a bit of a get when he arrived um, at Borussia Dortmund. He's been really disappointing. He's, mm. he's not played well at all um, so far. So um, that has been a relationship that has, has struggled to get going. And I think really the fact that it was difficult at the start and it's not got much easier. And there's not really been much of a relationship between Mounier and Sancho so far. It's been something that's that's been difficult. And I wouldn't say chipped away at his confidence, but has, has made it harder to work things out on the field. Whereas before, it was all um, very fast-paced, very natural. I don't think he really had to think about things so much, but just let his intuitive talent speak for him. Now he's got to work things out. He's, he's got to work out a different way of playing. And because he's one of the best players in the Bundesliga, he's going to get double and triple teamed. So mm. it's, it's a whole new way of um, leading the team forward. And he's expected to lead the team forward, you know, because he creates so much, because he's such a dangerous player, because he can score and create. And it, it's, it's taken time. But when you look back to that goal against Wolfsburg that he scored at the weekend, which is first Bundesliga goal of the season. And he has scored in the Champions League, by the way. He's been pretty good in the Champions League. We have to underline that. I think it's worth pointing out that the chance that he scores against Wolfsburg, because it was 1-0 to Dortmund at the time. They're defending. They counter from a corner. Emre Can plays the ball through for Sancho. If you're not in confidence, you're missing that. Mm. And it is an absolutely remarkable first goal of the season to score because he runs away. And, you know, I I think against most defenders, if you're Jadon Sancho, you think my pace will do me. I'm I'm away and I'll finish and that'll be fine. But actually the, the way he does it is he runs onto the ball and he feels... Paolo Otavio, the defender, who's still pretty fast, coming mm. up on him. He waits for Otavio to go past him, then does a tr- stops it, does a trick to get past him, and then composes himself and finishes it off. Now, if I think if if you're uncertain about what you're doing, Paolo Otavio, who's a good defender, by the way, and Wolfsburg are a very good defensive team, takes the ball out of you off, off you eight times out of ten. Mm-hmm. But that never looked like happening. Sancho's ability is absolutely unquestioned. And what people talked about 
um, as being a confidence issue. I, I don't think it is a confidence issue. I think it's reworking out how to play and recalibrating his role in the team. And I dare say that, you know, when he moves team, there'll they'll, they'll be something, whether it's a Manchester United or Chelsea or mm-hmm. anywhere else, there'll be different stuff to, to work out. And I think because he's played so well so far, we just expect an enormous amount of him and quite rightly so. But, you know, this is just a little blip in the road. Um, if Manchester United don't get him, they'll probably be sorry that they didn't get him because he's going to go on to be an incredible player for the next 10 years. And this is, you know, just a, a little moment that he's having and he's, he's showing every sign, I think, mm-hmm. of of working his way through it. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I, I agree with him. I mean, he's... His stats in the last few seasons, you know, the the first season where he, the first full season at Dortmund, in all competitions, thirteen goals in forty three games, which is a, a good return for a player who's not not a not a not a striker. striker. No, and then twenty goals in forty four last season. I mean, he has scored five goals this season in nineteen appearances. That it was his first goal in the Bundesliga. It's interesting though because I don't want to hang on too long, Sancho. We uh, move on to the our final question, but. When he, when he plays for England, I feel, and it's probably the way, you know, different teams and the way they play and so on, but I don't look at Sancho as a huge goal threat when he plays for England, which he hasn't done as consistently as he perhaps would have mm. liked. I see him more as a as a provider or an assister, whereas, of course, with Dortmund, his goals, yes, he provides assists, but he's a he's a goal getter. Why do you think that is, Andy? Well, I do think his, his goals are just a byproduct of his general mm. brilliance rather than mm. him being a goal scorer. But I do think, that without wanting to labour it, the Hakimi point is very important. The yeah, way okay. they clicked, the way they created space for each other to go inside as well as outside, and the way they had the versatility to do both of those things was was very important. Unfortunately, poor old Zizou wasn't having a bar of it. He wasn't having my advice. He wasn't <laughs> taking my calls. He wasn't having a bar of it, Andy. No. Uh, Andy, I'd like to finish from uh, today's pod with a, with a question that I would like to ask you. Um, I would like, before he moves somewhere, where will Diego Costa go and what is he capable of these days? I like the say the way you said what is not what has he got left in the tank. What is he capable of? As if when is he planning his next strike? <laughs> he's not a serial killer. He's a centre forward. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You Go don't on. seem convinced by that, but anyway, um, it's uh, I suppose kind of sad ending uh, to his 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 last spell with um, Atletico. Does that um, surprise you? That it's over? No. Um, well, the, the way it sort of ended. No, not really. Um, because Has he been taking the piss a bit? No, I think he was uh, frustrated that he wasn't playing. I mean, he's played 207 minutes in La Liga this season. Mm. And, um, you know, I know we've all been getting jolly excited about the the sheer unadulterated evil of a, a pairing with Luis Suarez. <laughs> but, but, but the fact is... It's been become abundantly clear to anyone who's watched Atletico on a semi-regular basis this season that their best front pair, the most complementary front pair, are Joao Felix and Luis Suarez. And Suarez is teaching yeah. Joao Felix so much as well. Um, that they, they click together absolutely brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got 
not just Angel Correa. You've got um, Marcos Llorente, who can even play as a second striker sometimes since he had that sort of career lift off at, at Anfield in the Champions League in uh, spring last year. Um and they're looking maybe to buy another striker. Now they've got Diego Costa's absolutely heinous wages off the books mm. um, this January. I think you can't really dice it any other way than um, his second spell at the club has been a failure. It cost a he's lot not- of money to bring back, a lot of money to bring back. And he's, he's always injured and suspended. And, that's and he hasn't not scored gonna... that many goals, has he? I mean, his first 12, spell, of 12 course. 12 league goals. 12 league goals in, in, in two years. Um, yeah. Which, which isn't great, you know. No. And it, it, the main problem is he can't keep himself on the pitch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you can argue that there's value in Costa when he's not scoring goals. I, I don't think I have any problem arguing that at all. Because, um, you know, his, his presence, his stuff that he gets up to, it, it's, <laughs> it's all valuable to the team. And I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But there have been a couple of points this season where he's pulled up through injury and it's felt like he's kind of reached the end of his tether. Like, like, you know, what more can I do? How, how can I stay fit? I've done everything that I can. And if you think like when, you know, when we talk about players, like normally retrospectively, like I say, we talk about, you know, Brazilian Ronaldo, for example, mm-hmm. and um, you know, what could he have been if it hadn't have been for the injuries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think you must reach a point when you feel that injuries are starting to define your career in a way mm. they they shouldn't. And like Ronaldo, and of course they're, they're very different, apart from being both Brazil-born in so many ways, what Diego Costa has achieved over the last near decade in European football, considering he's been injured for a lot of it, and he played yeah. through injury a lot of the time at Chelsea, um, he had quite a lot of injuries at the back end of his first spell at Atletico as well. Of course, he pulled up in the Champions League final in 2014 when he wasn't really fit and that completely ruined his, his World Cup with, with, mm-hmm. with Spain and Brazil as well, which would have been a massive deal to him um, with, with, with all his, his family and friends watching. Um, what he's managed to achieve in, in, that, in that time is, is pretty remarkable in, in my view. I think it's just caught up with him and Atletico are grateful for what he's been for the club, but pretty happy to get out from under those enormous wages. Um, he wants to get somewhere where he's going to get paid without really, with people being happy that he's there and without really asking the details yeah. of what he's actually yeah. doing. Um, the Wolves link, obviously I can understand why people have made it because of George, George Mensch. Um, the fact is Wolves are trying to replace a striker who plays all the time mm-hmm. in Raul Jimenez. Um, Diego Costa can't do that. I, I just don't mm-hmm. think he has that in him. And even if he was fit, he'd be getting suspended all the time. So, <laughs> you know, throwing a ton of money at a 32-year-old Diego Costa for that just because of, an, you know, him, him being good people and nicely connected, mm-hmm. um, I, I think is a terrible idea. It's, it's something that should be avoided at all costs um, I think there are a lot of other good options and clearly they've got the connections to make it happen in the Portuguese market on the table for Wolves I think him coming back to the Premier League in general considering how tough yeah. he's found it staying fit in La Liga is, is a really bad idea um, the impression I got from speaking to a, a, a few people around it when he was about to be let go and Atletico really couldn't agree to it quickly enough um, 
was that either China or Brazil were the most. Do you know, Andy, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, back to Brazil makes sense, or if not China, it's got to be. Yeah, a ton of ton of money. You know, yeah. he can fill his fill his boots financially for mm-hmm. for for three years, and um, he can basically walk around the pitch. Yeah. in um, I mean, at least one yeah. of those cases. I mean, unless there's a sort of an offer from someone like Saudi Arabia, but it will be a, it will be one of the countries which, uh, as you say, a lot of money and not as much effort as it would be to get that money as it would be in, say, England or or, or Spain or somewhere like that. Uh, but it, it'll be intriguing to see where he goes. So who knows? By the time this podcast's out, maybe he's already gone somewhere. Um, and if he He'll has, make um, it back on the ramble soon. I think that's pretty clear. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, no, no doubt about that. Uh, that's but of all course, we can Andy, hope this, for. That's all we can hope for. Um, uh, this week on On the Continent, you'll be talking about Maurizio Pochettino at Paris Saint-Germain uh, and, and all that sort of good stuff yes. there. So we look forward to hearing that this uh, this Thursday. Yeah, I look forward to it too. Indeed. Well, until then, thank you very much, Andy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for your questions, everybody. That was the mailbag for this week. Lots of love. See you next week. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.